University. University. Radio Bath. They think it's all over. It is now. Hello and welcome to another episode of They Think It's All Over, our second episode back now for the new season. Uh, it's been a really exciting start to the season as we discussed last week and uh, we've just come to the end of the transfer window, so plenty to talk about there with lots of new signings coming into Premier League clubs up and down the division. But of course, the main talking point from last week's events has to be two particular matches, uh, some absolute demolitions for both Liverpool and Manchester United. Dorsey, I think we'll start with that. What what did you make of it? I mean, it was disastrous, wasn't it? Um, I was actually struggling to think of a worse performance from a United team in my lifetime, and I, I couldn't come up with an answer. Um, promising start, one minute in, get a penalty. Bruno Fernandes doing his business, as always. But then... Harry Maguire decides he's a school schoolgirl at the back and makes all these errors. I couldn't couldn't believe what I was watching. Suddenly we're two one down, and then of course the red card incident, which Eric Lamella should never play football again. It was absolutely pathetic what he was doing. <laughs> Went down as if Martial punched him in the face. He's a little tap, and he obviously starts crying his eyes out. I hope he's all right. Actually, I do send my best wishes to him. Um, hopefully, it's a speedy recovery, but. Obviously, Lord knows what Anthony Taylor was doing. I think, for me, obviously, we discussed it in the group chat, boys. You either send them both off or you book both. There's no way you can send off Martial and not send off Lamella. Um, but then after that, we just capitulated and it ended up being 6-1. It could have been 10. Probably should have been more. Um, but yeah, I think a dreadful result for us ten. only made better by the fact that Liverpool did even worse an hour hour or so later but I think we'll touch on that red card in a little bit more detail um, a bit later on but I wanted to talk about something that Gary Neville was alluding to during that match I think it was when you were 5-1 down right towards the end or maybe even 6-1 he was saying that perhaps the red card didn't really contribute to that mm. result in in a big sense that you know, you were already on a downward slope. It was 2-1 yeah. before the red card and looked like you could ship a lot more goals. Do you agree with that? And what was really going wrong on the whole without the red card? Uh, I think even without the red card, we still would have lost the game. Um, obviously, we were 2-1 down at that point and Spurs were ripping through our team for fun, basically. So I, I do agree with him on the fact that we still would have lost the game. Maybe not 6, but I think we still would have lost 3 or 4-1 quite comfortably, you know. But I think defensively we were just all over the place I mean Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire had probably the worst games they've had in the United shirt individual mistakes cost us drastically and then obviously in the second half when we tried to shut up shop we conceded a few more goals so <laughs> I think I mean I literally have no idea we obviously tried by Maguire next week it's going to be who knows obviously Teller's coming in so Shaw doesn't have to play again for a while so that's a good thing I just yeah I, I and the worst bit, obviously, three games into the season, we've got three points on the board. I think we could be in big trouble, boys. I really do. Hiron, did you enjoy watching it? Obviously, it takes you back to that 6-1 win for City over United back in, in 2011. Yeah, indeed. I suppose in Dorsey's words, I'd probably say it's uh, one of the best days of my life. Um, it's absolutely world-class. <laughs> being, both, um, both games, obviously, I, I can't stand both teams. So, not that I like Tottenham, but 
it's just funny, isn't it? And yeah, the second 6-1, you just, you just can't rewrite it, could you? But it was a more deserved 6-1 win for Tottenham, to be fair, than it was for us. Yeah. Whereas at least for City, it was more of a... It was 3-1 towards 90th minute, and then we just took advantage of um, basically United just going all out for the win. So um, Spurs were just better throughout the entire day. Um, obviously, the start didn't look so hopeful for them, but then after that, um, yeah, it, it, I, I just loved it. I, I was just enjoying it, laughing a lot, so it was all good. And then but the next game to happen, wow, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I went mental. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute, but I want to talk about Spurs a bit as well. Mm. Of course, they're looking really good this season. Yeah. Rod, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, it's probably not the best thing you want to see, but do you think Spurs could push for top four this year, potentially even challenge for the title? I think I think I think in this current form they're in, they definitely could be up there. Like um, fair play to them, they've made some good recruitment this summer. They've looked at probably their weakest areas and they strengthen there in the fullbacks. I I do think they need a centre back. I think they're going to regret not getting his name's escaping me from Inter Milan. Brilliant. That's it. Um, getting him because Dyer and Davis and Sanchez as centre backs doesn't fill you with much confidence and I think that could be their undoing but Kane and Son are on fire and that looks like they're going to be having a very good season and then they're going to add Bale into the mix who knows how he's going to perform still got Bale to come in I think Spurs actually were looking at uh, Swansea centre-back Joe Rodon which obviously isn't good news for us Swans fans but I'm not even sure he's someone who could solve all their defensive problems I think they do have quite a lot of trouble at the back and they need to well, obviously they still got the domestic window to look at championship players to bring in perhaps or other Premier League players, but I feel like it needs someone a bit bigger to come in and sort it out. I don't know what you think, Dawes. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think for me, Scrinny, I would have been perfect for them. So I'm, I'm actually really glad that they didn't get didn't get their hands on him. I think obviously Son and Kane are unbelievable at the moment, and maybe they will go. I mean, obviously there's a few free agents now as well. Whether they can find a sort of free agent they can pick up. At centre half, I'm not sure. You know, top of my head, if there's anyone out there, but I'm sure there'll be someone just to pin it because I think, yeah, as Rod said, Eric Dyer is well. He's he's a shambles, really. Um, mm. I think against a team that would press, he'd just be in such big trouble. Um, yeah, I, I think they're a ser- serious contenders for top four, and they'll be there and thereabouts if Liverpool slip up further. Obviously, after the result on the weekend. Yeah, interesting. Obviously, you mentioned your opinion on the uh, red card shout doors. Uh, mm-hmm. Potentially, I think I'd back you up there and say, yeah, it was probably two yellows rather than a red. Mm-hmm. I suppose if you are going to give one red, you've got to give two. But Hiron and Rod, what what are your thoughts? Two yellows oh, for sure. Two I, yellows, yeah. I think Definitely two yellows. There, there wasn't much in what happened at all. And I, I think as well, there, there was mention of... I think Martial's was at the head or something, but I'm pretty sure one of them was at the neck anyway, which is, mm-hmm. well, Lamella's was at the neck anyway, which is already very suspect. Um, I, it, it just seems crazy that with VAR being in the game, that something like that can't be sorted out. It seems, again, very common sense, very much, you have the technology to be able to sort out this issue and you don't. Not that it made a difference to the result, because I think, like Dawes admitted um, just previously, I think Spurs would have won quite comfortably. Maybe not six-one, but they were up with trajectory during that game. But all the same, it's decisions like that which can ruin uh, football games. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it do- it highlights a sort of inconsistency with VAR because obviously as an Arsenal fan, the thing that springs to mind is Sadio Mane on Kieran Tierney. Um, it's, again, contact with the face that wasn't even looked at by VAR, but then a much lighter contact with the face resulted in a red card. So it's sort of, you know, where is this line mm-hmm. that VAR are drawing? And I think as fans, we could all do with a bit more clarity from the VAR officials as to what their decision-making process is. Yeah. So it just leads yeah. to frustration for us. I think for both cases, why why doesn't the ref have a look at the monitor? I think if Anthony Taylor would have gone back and maybe had a look himself and thought, oh, actually, what Lamella's done there is actually a disgrace. He should be sent off as well. Or whether he'd go, oh, actually, no, that's not a red card. There's two yellows. Because, I mean, who knows who's in the VAR tent? You know, he's probably... Probably Jonathan Moss or something, you know, he's useless. <laughs> I wouldn't trust his decision-making. So, I mean, why why not? They've been given, obviously, a license, more license this year to see the monitors. Why didn't he have a look, you know, in that in that instance? It's interesting I mean, now... with the monitors, because I think, I remember, um, Owen, you, you sent us a, uh, a link about the monitor usage. Yeah, uh, it was a very interesting in, piece in The, in the Athletic earlier this week, talking about when referees actually are allowed to use the monitor. And it was saying that, so basically, from the VAR's perspective, they can either agree with the on-field decision, in which they don't say anything, or they can not agree, in which case they suggest the referee to go look at the monitor. And in that situation, it's very unlikely the referee is going to disagree with the VAR. So by saying, go look at the monitor, the VAR is essentially saying, you're wrong, mate. Uh, <laughs> and you know we're yet to see an occasion where the referee has disagreed with the VAR. So... I guess it comes down to that, you know, who has the final say kind of idea. Is the referee on pitch? Is he got license to agree to disagree? Sorry, with the VAR. And if he does, you know, what does that say about VAR? What was the point in stopping the great game if he disagrees with overturning his decision? So I would like to see a bit more sort of um, again used for the fifty-fifties because intuitively that's what I think the monitor should be used for. If it's clear and obvious, let's not waste everyone's time by making the ref look at something he's he's going to obviously agree with. Yeah. Where, whereas the time for reviews should be used for the much more subjective decisions that there are within football. And then you can keep it to that referee's opinion on the interpretation of the rules. You don't have the sort of issues of different refs have different interpretations of the rules. You keep it consistent apart from in the clear and obvious errors. And that makes much more sense. And, I don't think we're going to go a week this season without talking about VAR. We already talked about it last week on the the podcast and it's just going to keep going back, isn't it? Um, Moving on then to that second match. Uh, Hyron, you were starting to talk about it as, you know, one of the greatest days uh, of your Premier League memory. Um, Aston Villa now, what, three, three games, three wins. Pretty good for them. And Liverpool, last year's runaway leaders, slipping down the table. What, what are you thinking? It's, um, I mean, it's for the Premier League, it's, it's looking very good because it, I mean, I said last week on the show that Paul looked a little bit frail at the back and it, and it showed um, that they played such a high line uh, that they've been too, so successful with for a long time, but they just got completely exposed by Aston Villa. Um, Jack Grealish and Ross Barkley, absolutely brilliant in the midfield. They just basically ran the show. Um and, and Liverpool just couldn't keep up with it. There's lots of mistakes. Um, and I think, again, that you, you're seeing the effect of no fans being the ground. You obviously think 
being at Villa, it would it would be in favour of Liverpool in this instance. But I suppose still there's no drive of any of your fans shouting at you, whether you're home or away. So I don't know if that's got anything to do with it. It's just, it's just absolutely bonkers, the results that we're seeing at the minute. It's good for the yeah, Premier League. I was, I was trying to think, uh, Dawes, can you remember a time in Premier League history where a champion has been humbled by such a result? I mean, obviously, as a United fan, you're probably <laughs> most likely to have experienced um, such an event. I, I couldn't think of one. Um, not on not on that scale. Obviously, I, you know, I, I do know the last time it's happened. It was I th- it was Arsenal Sunderland, I think, in the forties. I believe I saw. Like we lost. Was it the nineteen forties? Yeah, I think that's how long it's been since, it, <laughs> since the champions lost seven two. Oh god! Is there anything on a similar scale, doors? Though I, I, you know, obviously United losing six one was probably what. Yeah, up there. I yeah. mean that's that's probably you know, obviously one of the worst ones. But not. But I mean that was against you know Man City, were a great side, and we were down to ten men for most of it. Whereas Liverpool, obviously. 11 men on the pitch, the the main lads out there, and they just got, well, ripped to pieces, you know. Um, I've always said that Trent cannot defend, as simple as that. Um, I mean, Van Dijk looked average. Robertson, it's so good to see him making mistakes because I can't stand that, that bloke. And then the keeper. What I didn't understand was they just gave him so much space on the ball. Like every time a ball came into Grealish or Ollie Watkins, they seemed to give him space to, to run. What yeah. was going on with it? But the fullback. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, Jamie Carragher said after a few minutes, like this game could, Liverpool could concede so many goals here because the high line and all this nonsense, letting them have time on the ball. I, just, I honestly couldn't believe what I was watching. I mean, obviously, it doesn't help that the goalkeeper made some absolute howlers and made a fool of himself on numerous occasions. Obviously, that didn't exactly bring you confidence in the squad, but I just couldn't believe what I was watching. And the fact that Klopp didn't really change it, you know, at half-time, you think they're 3-1 down, maybe they could sort it out. But the fact they came out in the second half and did the exact same, I just, I, it just baffled me, really. And I, It's good to see, as Scott said, it's good for the Prem because I thought Liverpool would sort of run away with it again. But there's a few doubts in the minds now, I think, of those of those Liverpool players and we shall see what happens over the next next game. Obviously, now they've got the two-week break, which is probably a good thing, really, for them. Sort of clear their heads mm. a bit and then go again with the Merseyside derby. I mean, what a game to come back to. I mean, yeah, looking look at the table, that is a huge game because obviously Everton sits top uh, with 12 points from four games. Uh, Liverpool dropped to fifth, nine points from four and actually a goal difference of zero now thanks to <laughs> the minus five uh, they experienced at Aston Villa. But yeah, that's... Um, if Liverpool lose to Everton, then Everton could go six points clear at the top after five games. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, I think we've got to take them seriously um, this season. They've got one of the best managers in the history of football. They've backed him well in the summer. They made some very, very good signings. And I think if they can stay fit and Hammers can keep plugging the thing, you know, the strings in the midfield with Calvert-Lewin, the form he's in, if he doesn't start for England in the next few games, then he'll never start at this point. I mean... He's been so he's been incredible. It looks like every game he's going out there and he's going to score at least one or two. So if he can keep that form up, then they could seriously be title title challengers. I can't no. believe I'm saying it, but the, the only thing that'll hold them back is their uh, is their number one position. Unfortunately, yeah, I think we all know we all know who that person Jordan is. Pickford, Jeepers. <laughs> you wouldn't get a game for Avowest County, let alone Everton. Like you know, he's just appalling. He's for the last probably eighteen months or something makes high-profile mistakes on quite a regular basis for both England and Everton. It's quite concerning, really, that there's no one there to really challenge him. 
it seems bong like that, that's the position for me which i think they need to strengthen in and they're, they're obviously showing faith in him but i don't know how long they can do that for until because he, okay four four games and four they've won fine and they've he's made a mistake but they won four two but their firepower at the front isn't always going to drive them forward to win games there's going to be games where they're going to be a bit tighter you're going to be able to score one or two goals and that's where you need your defense and that's where you need your goalkeeper to step up sometimes and if he's not going to be up to the task well that's where they're going to drop the points i'm afraid Hmm. I think um, they did sign a new keeper, didn't they, on on deadline day? I think they signed a Swedish bloke. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. Yeah, but I mean, I think I mean Ancelotti. Not sure. I'm not sure if he's signed a player to go straight into the first team. I think Pickford will still hold on to his place, but hopefully that'll give him, Mm. you know, a bit of competition, a bit of a reason to work hard in training and and stop making these mistakes. Yeah, I mean, hopefully. Because, yeah, that would be the main concern for me going into the rest of the season. But Ancelotti's come out and backed him. So, I mean, he obviously has faith in him. But as Scott said, if he makes a big mistake in a big game, say in the Merseyside derby, if it's one all with a few minutes to go, he makes a howler and Liverpool win 2-1, that could be the difference, you know. And he can't keep making these these major errors. It's not as if it's like, you know, a little 50-50 that didn't go quite his way. It's just embarrassing what he's doing out there. Every mm. single game, and surely even the defense in front of him must must be like, oh dear, you know, we've got this guy behind us who is li- is liability. He could do anything silly any minute now. So I think they need. It doesn't exactly inspire confidence, does it? Exactly. Um, so maybe they did bring this this keeper in. I mean, I've never heard of him, so he's obviously not like a sort of big name or anything. But even just to have that little bit of pressure on him might be good for him because I think Pickford is just too arrogant. I think that's that's the issue really. After the World Cup, he had a good World Cup, and suddenly he thinks he's prime Buffon, you know. <laughs> so I think it's good to see him sort of get back down to earth, and hopefully he makes a few mistakes for England tonight against Wales. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how he's still starting for England. I think it it really does boil down to sentimentality more than anything. You know, there's there's two keepers who are much much better than him this season, who are currently just sitting on the bench, really which is a real shame. Yeah, I think uh, we mentioned a deadline day signing there. I think his name's Olsen, who signed for Everton in the, the goalkeeper position, but lots of other action on deadline day uh, on Monday this week. Um, who do you think has got the best of the business? Obviously, United left it a little bit late and uh, signing their left-back tellers as well as uh, Cavani up front, which is a little bit of a last-minute odd decision. Um you you happy with that in the end doors, or do you think you know it was really a mess from the beginning? Uh, it was it was a complete mess, wasn't it? I mean, the fact that we signed four players on deadline day sums up just how badly we're run. You know, we could have signed Cavani months ago, and now because we left it so late, he can't play against Newcastle because he has to quarantine for fourteen days. <laughs> there's there's no, it's, it's just pathetic. I mean, how? And then we try to sign this eighteen year old kid. But we have to sign him in January now because we couldn't get his work permit sorted out. It's just an absolute shambles, really. Oli didn't get any of his main targets. No centre-back, no right winger. I just, I couldn't believe what, what I was watching on deadline day, in all honesty. And they drag out the Cavani and Tellez deals, which we knew were going to happen two or three days earlier. And they announced them at 11pm as if, oh, wow, look who we've just signed. You know, I think they'll both be good signings, but we needed so much more. You kept popping up my Twitter feed on uh, Monday night. Uh, Glazers out, Woodward out, hashtags. And yeah. I think someone asked, um, 
where where are we going to finish with these signings? Could, could we push for top four? And you said we'll be lucky to get top half. Yeah, and I stand, I stand by those words. Nothing will change with this club until the owners leave and Ed Woodward resigns or is sacked. I mean, it just it's a circus. I think that's how I describe my club at the moment. An absolute circus. And unfortunately for Ollie, he's been left out to dry. Um, he really has been left hanging out to dry. And I think he'll be he'll be sacked by Christmas, unfortunately. We'll get a new manager in and the cycle continues. You know, I honestly wish we were in the studio right now. I'd just love to see your face. <laughs> the classic Dorsey moping face. It's, it's, honestly, mate, it's so rough these days, man. It's so rough. i just love to see it. You always spend 10 minutes moping on every episode if they think it's all over. It's because my club's a mess, mate. It's as simple as that. I mean, one of the stages so of door. What was that, Hyron? One of the stages of door. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's not. It's not good, mate. And um, yeah, I think. But how about how about elsewhere then? Obviously, um, Arsenal making some last-minute moves on on deadline day, Rod. Yeah, yeah, very happy to see it. Um, I'd sort of going into deadline day, we'd like most Arsenal fans had given up hope. <laughs> you know, it had the Awar and Parse had been dragging on for weeks and weeks. Awar was was dead in the water. Parse, we thought was dead, but then suddenly. Cronky signs off on the money being used and because he's got a release clause I don't think Atletico Madrid knew until we'd signed him really that we were making a move because the way it works in La Liga is you just pay them directly to activate the release clause So and then he was a free agent and we signed him and Atletico Madrid were number wiser <laughs> Pretty mad I think the biggest signing for you is probably the re-signing of uh, Gunnosaurus though how about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not been it's not been confirmed yet, but um, I believe yeah it'll be good to see Gunnosaurus back. You know he's a club icon. Twenty seven years he's been he's been uh, he's been our mascot, and hopefully for many many more. You know it's a, it was it's a disgrace that he got sacked. Really, um, I, hopefully the plan was to always rehire him when fans were allowed back, but. The way the club is at the moment, I don't know. Um, yeah, I was just thinking they they could use this kind of opportunity to you know get Gunnosaurus round to the hospital, see see the sick kids in 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 beds. You know, people who've got COVID, maybe even you could sort of you know wave from the window and say, look, you're still here. Arsenal's still here. Once yeah. you get out of the hospital, you know, it's a good opportunity for a good news story. I mean, you could even see him coming round. You know, season ticket holders' houses, or even around the pub, saying hello. You know, it's it's a good opportunity for a good PR, really. Yeah, I think I think they could definitely have still made use of him. You know, like take the FA Cup on a season ticket households tour or something like that. Exactly, you know? that'd be class. Yeah, and yeah, the Community just, Shield as well. Yeah, true. Oh, yeah. He could get himself a little rucksack with him in. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it in a rucksack? <laughs> You no, know, oh, can't be walking uh, through North London with trophies out. You get mobbed. Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough, lad. <laughs> no, uh, but how, how about elsewhere then, uh, Hyron? Who have you uh, spotted that's done some good business in the transfer window? Um, well, I think Villa have done great business, obviously, but getting Ross Barkley, um, and I think a few other um, key players that they've needed as well. I think Dean Smith clearly uh, looking to like expand on last season, which turn into a bit more of a dogfight than they wished. I think now they're probably hoping to finish potentially top half for them as a, um, a definite target. If, if they can play like they did on the weekend, top half is very possible for uh, for Villa. 
so I think they've done very very well in the uh, transfer market. Yeah, I've, I've been quite impressed with them. Leeds as well. They've got some. I think they've got about ten players or something like that. So. They're clearly not messing around, but that doesn't surprise me at yeah, all. Yeah, they've spent been... big. I think they spent 80, 90 million or something. Yeah, I, I worry for Burnley. I think Burnley, it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all if Burnley went down this season. I, I don't know what Malcolm what's, uh, knows doors. What's but... Malcolm's thoughts on that doors, yeah? No, he's not happy, mate. I mean, the actual total spend this window was zero pounds and zero P. So <laughs> Dyche has been Deary hung out me. to dry, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. I just don't understand what the owners are expecting from from Dice at this point. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Dice just left, just packed it in. I don't, you know, wouldn't blame him. They could, they're in big trouble this year. They really are. Um, I mean, when he spent no money, what, what do you expect him to do? You know, with the same squad, it'll be a miracle if he stays up this year. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. One of the interesting ones I thought was um, Sheffield United. Obviously, sit well second bottom on zero points. Um, their late signing of Rian Brewster mm. from Liverpool obviously did a good job for us in the second half of the championship season the last year. Uh, I think he went for £18 million in the end, but I, I just thought it was odd that Liverpool were selling him. They do have um, a buyback buy buy last year. Yeah. So. So the way I Liverpool sell he... players is so clever. I don't understand how they, how they do it. You know, they got 30 mil for Solanke and 30 mil for all... You know, I don't know how... Whoever's in charge of it is brilliant, you know. Twenty, I think it was twenty-three mil, whatever it was for Brewster, with that buyback option available for the next two years. I think it's perfect for them, you know. Give him that experience at a Premier League club, he'll be starting every week, I'm sure. So, I mean, obviously, he did a good job for you boys last year, mid. So, we shall see if he mm. makes that step up into the Premier League this year. Yeah, and the other, I suppose, big spenders of the window were obviously Chelsea. I think they spent over two hundred million pounds in total. I guess we're starting Crazy. to see that on the pitch. But, you know, there's some which are, have still not come through. There's a couple of injuries in, in those players they've signed. When do you think that those uh, new signings can make a big impact? Because obviously they're sitting well, they're sitting seventh in the table. They're not really not really being super impressive so far this season. No, I mean, they played well against Palace, to be fair. I think Chilwell had a very good game. Obviously, he's been bedded in now. I think Pulisic is coming back from injury. Ziyech, I think, is out for a few more weeks. But I think... Havertz looks amazing. What a player he is. Um, but then Werner, I don't know. It doesn't look... He hasn't had the impact that I thought he would have. Maybe it takes, you know, it will take him a bit of time to adjust to the Premier League and stuff. But I think even Lampard's probably disappointed with the way Werner's sort of turned out at the moment. Don't know whether he'll turn it turn it round or what when obviously his Pulisic and Ziyech is well playing. But yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. Obviously, a big money signing, not not quite working at the moment, but Havertz and Chilwell, I think, would be great additions. Yeah, I think I think Werner, it's it's very early days for him. I think he's he needs sort of that. He's that kind of striker that needs that link up from midfielders where they understand the runs he's going to make and they they're playing balls in front of him so he can utilise his pace when he get a run at defenders because when he dribbles, it's not he can't really dribble around players. It's not one of his strengths. And I just think they're not utilising him correctly yet. But I think that will come with time. They've made some massive changes throughout the team. And I, I'd be worried about them coming in a, in a few weeks. Yeah, I think they're certainly ones to look to watch and uh, expect them to be up there when the season ends. Um want to move on. And uh, Hyron, I think you've actually got a little challenge for us this week. Uh, Instead of a start one, bench one, sell one, we've got a start two, bench one, sell one from you, Hyron. 
Do you want to propose it? Yeah, yeah, sure. But um, let me just get it up. I, I just found it on Twitter as as I think we find absolutely everything. <laughs> um, and I think it posed quite an interesting question. I've just got to scroll up and find this. But, um, oh, God, here we go. There we go. Got it. So, uh, four midfielders, um, all on their yeah. day, absolutely world class. Um, but there, so start two, bench one, and sell one. So you've got Iniesta, you've got Gerard, Yaya Torre, and you've got Perlo. Now, it's quite. <sighs> Iniesta starting. 100%. That, that, that's that's the easiest one for me. I think in yeah. the end, uh, you you can't leave out. And Gerard's gone. I think it's tough for me. Who's gone out of Gerard and Torre? I agree. I think, those, those are my, my those are my bottom my, two. I'd say my mm. my two starters are Perlo and Iniesta. Yeah. And then I can't. I'm struggling to decide out the other two. I, I'm leaning towards keeping Torre because I think he was class. But the problem with Torre is he only did it for say like two, three seasons at the top. Yeah. Whereas the other three were at the top for 10 plus years. I think Torre's peak was probably better than Gerard's, but I think Gerard yeah. did it for much longer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, so I, I think, think yeah, Torre, Torre's gone, bench Gerard, <laughs> Pirlo and Iniesta starting. Oh, filthy Rob. Yeah, I, 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 Gerard's got to go for me. You know, I mean, obviously it might be a bit of United bias here, but I think People just forget just how good Yaya Torre was. I mean, obviously yeah. at Barca as well, he was still brilliant. I mean, he still had six, seven, maybe even eight years at the very top. I mean, Gerard obviously had a bit, a bit of a longer career, but Yaya Torre won the, you know, won the six trophies in a season at Barca. Came to City, won a few prems. Yeah, it was a sen- sensational for us from probably 2010 to probably 2016, 17 was starting to to slow down a little bit, but. Yeah, like Dawes said, at Barca and City, he was, he was top class. So, and I think he'd provide you that difference on the bench that you'd need. If you had Iniesta and uh, Perlo on to start, yeah. I think he'd give you that extra bit of push that you'd need, say, if you needed a winner. So you think Iniesta and Perlo as well to start hiring? I thought you might say uh, Torre to start. Well, I've, I've, it, it's tough between Yaya and Perlo for me. I think Iniesta has, has to start. Yeah. I think that is the guarantee. Yeah. He is a football genius. Um, I, I think a, a few of them are, to be fair. I think Perlo is a, a genius as well. Um, but I, I think Perlo, again, his consistency throughout his entire career, he, he's been magnificent for both Italy, well, Juventus and both Milans, I think especially uh, Inter Milan. Um, but yeah, I think I think him and Iniesta were just crews in the midfield. And then Yaya coming off of the bench, I think, just provides you with what you need. Yeah, I'd agree yeah, with that. Yeah, I think I'll go, I'll go with that too. I'll go with that too. Yeah, that's a bit easier when you've got a start to yeah. bench one, sell one, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's a bit of an interesting one. It, I, I think there was a three of them, and there was a buy one, sell one, bench one or something. I said, someone said, let's make it easier. So I don't, I didn't see the, the tweet before that, but that was, that was all I found. I, was, I thought it was quite interesting, so... Yeah, it's a good, good one, Hiram. Maybe we'll have someone else uh, sort one out next week. Um, I want to move on and have a quick chat about the uh, international break before we finish the show today. Obviously, tonight is the 
the big one, if you like, although it's only a friendly, um, England-Wales uh, tonight. We've got two two on each side on the podcast, actually. Yes, that's of a rarity. We normally <laughs> outnumbered one, one way or another, but uh, two Welshmen, two Englishmen. Um, what do we make of that, boys? Who, who's going to come out victorious? Obviously, a lot of uh, injuries and unavailabilities on both sides. I think unavailabilities I'm, are the key there. <laughs> I, I can just... I don't know what it is, but I've just got this feeling that Wales are going to beat us. Like... I don't know what it is. I just, I, 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 I do kind of know what it is. It's just this, this that... sounds like a higher end classic. Yeah, like, oh yeah, we'll probably lose to Norwich. <laughs> We're in this world. Like, I'm not happy with this world. No, like you, have you, you, you watched us play our previous games? It oh, Southgate's the worst, the worst manager in international football. Of course he is. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like you know, I'm just going to see the starting lineup. It's going to have pick. Trippier at left back, Mason Mount in midfield, Grealish on the bench, Calvert Lewin's probably going to be on the bench, and I'm just going to sort of be like, right, it's all over now. Like, <laughs> we, should, here all we should win, but I just, you know, you know, we just have that feeling that it's just not going to end well. This is it because I, I know Wales will be up for it. They they'll turn up, right? But, well, England should yeah. be up for it. I mean, furious if they weren't up for it even though it is only a friendly England Wales quite a nice contested um, game isn't it I think both just want to win for pride to be honest over the uh, the other country mm. so I, 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 yeah, definitely. I, I, I just want to see the players actually try again I think there's going to be a bit of experimentation within the squad I think given it's a friendly I think you can there's a bit more scope for trying different things that maybe you wouldn't try so I'm, I'm happy to see uh, players Sort of rotated and, and different options, but I don't. I just don't want to see walking around. I want to see a bit of fire and a bit of passion, really. I yeah, think, I, well, think I, hope it be, I think it will be that, really. Um, I was just wondering, boys, what what obviously you English boys, what are your thoughts on you know Tammy Abraham, Sancho, and Chilwell sort of not being included in the squad for tonight? But Southgate announcing about an hour ago that they are they're fine for the next game. So I don't know who you're playing. Some some rubbish, probably. I thought it's, that was really interesting how... It's not Belgium, Belgium, is it, is it, is it, is it it's Belgium a, next? Belgium and Denmark, so they're pretty oh, yeah. difficult. Yeah, I, was was really rubbish. Rubbish. I didn't think we had an easy one coming up. A load of rubbish, um, mate. But I thought it was interesting, obviously, what's happening with Foden and Greenwood being yeah. exiled from the squad. Yeah. And yet, Abraham, Sancho and Chilwell, you, come on, boys, come back, straight back. Like, I don't know what Southgate... So, so for context, those, those three of them were involved in a house party, I think, for yeah. Tammy Abraham's birthday. Yeah, so... Obviously, the rule now is no more than six people, but I think there's a there was about twenty eight people in in the in the party. Obviously, including these three these three players here. So obviously, complete break of the lockdown rules. Got Southgate space. So basically, saying yeah, you can you can do that, but you, when it really matters, you can come back for the games. Whereas Foden and Greenwood are still exiled. I hate it's, it. It's it's just stupid, and the fact that uh, I feel like you need a consistent approach of this. Foden and Greenwood were left out of the following games after they broke the rules. Now, whether you want to bring them back for the next break or not, or um, or not, I suppose that's, that's up to him, and, and that's fine. I, I respect that decision that he didn't want to maybe bring them back, especially given that they committed that on on the break as well, and it mm-hmm. was a little bit. It was obviously very high profile what they did, so I I understand it. But when you have something similar ish and that you're representing England. It it doesn't make sense that oh yeah, like you miss this game just because you got isolated or whatever. But then 
come on, we need you for these next games where the other two are still left out. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. They've broken the same rules. I, th- I think as well what Abraham and Chilwell and that uh, did was worse because obviously it was more people involved. Yeah. So it's a, it's a much more high-risk event than what, well, Greenwood and Foden, it was just two people that they, they allowed into the bubble. That, I suppose the nature, of, nature of the act. But it is the nature I, of it. But, <laughs> but I do agree. Well, you can't Rod. exactly argue either of them was necessary, can you? No, so. for sure. I mean, Foden has got a wife and kid. <laughs> yeah, that, that is awful. That, okay, COVID circumstances are talking here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, how, how old is Foden as well? Like, He's 20 To have now. a wife and kids. But I think he had... I don't know. No, I think his long-term girlfriends would be fair. But he has, he's had a kid for a few years. <laughs> It's some Raheem good. Sterling, mate. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Here we go. As the son, good God. I, don't, I hate yeah, saying that son, thing, newspaper, but as they call them, the love rats and all of this thing and <laughs> going, going, going on a plane and in the, I don't know, normal, in the normal cabin and shopping in Poundland. Oh my God. What? Oh, it just drives me crazy, but. I didn't realise you had the Sun, Hiron. Yeah, you can't oh. be reading that. Don't give. Don't, no, no, I don't I'm, even I'm, give them the ad I, money. I, I'm, I'm not clicking. I've, I've blocked. But you know, stuff. you know an awful lot about it for yeah. somebody who doesn't read the Sun. Yeah, that, that's, that's because the news is shared outside from the Sun, and it gets shared all across Twitter. I don't. I've blocked the Sun from Twitter. I've, I've blocked them on Instagram. I've blocked them. I, I do not click on anything from the Sun at all. Ever. <laughs> Good to hear, Hyra. Good to hear. Well, we alluded to it there, but obviously England's fixtures after the friendly for which uh, those three Chelsea players may be back uh, are against Belgium and Denmark, both at home. Obviously, Belgium, I think they're the number one ranked side in the world at the moment. So, you know, it's not just some use of side doors, as you might think. Um, It should be quite a tough test for England. (laughs) Well, they've got one of the best players in the world. You know, I just assumed that I mean, you know, as, as soon as you hear England and qualifying or anything like that, you always just assume they're playing Lithuania or San Marino, like always. So, fair tough games. Obviously, Belgium, they've got some great players. So, I think it'll be a tough test. But, <laughs> you know, considering what they usually play, I think it'll be a tough game for them. Yeah. And then for Wales, it's uh, Republic of Ireland and Bulgaria away. Probably a little bit more difficult than... Uh, then you'd think, obviously, Republic of Ireland not playing so well at the moment. I'd hope for three points there, but Bulgaria is probably always a tough place to go. And I think are they are they even letting fans in. They might be letting fans in because obviously UEFA no, UEFA have enabled up to thirty percent fans. You know, sort of depending on what the local governments are saying. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Bulgaria would would mind um, judging. By sort of how their how their fans have acted in the past around England, I, I don't I don't think I don't think they'd mind having a few fans in there. What do you think would be a good result out of those two doors? I mean, realistically, I think a win and a draw, I'd probably be quite happy with that. You know, um, in the grand scheme of things, obviously, it'd be nice to get the two wins. I know that isn't Ramsey back for those two games? I think you should be available. I think so. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. There was so, some business about. Juventus' bubble, I didn't really understand it. Yeah, it was bizarre because like, Ronaldo played last night, so I don't understand how that works. But um, it must have been whatever whatever's going on in Italy, who knows. But yeah, I think four points I'd be happy with, but 
obviously it'd be nice to get the two wins. Um, tonight will be very interesting to see what sort of team Giggs puts out. Expecting quite a lot of youngsters again getting more minutes under their belt. And I think, you know, it'd be a tough test, but we'll see how we'll see how we get on. I think I'm feel, I'm feeling quite good about watching Wales these days. I don't know about you, Mid. Obviously, it's not the best football, but we're grinding out results, which is obviously good to see. Yeah, it's pretty boring to watch, but I guess you can't really argue with six points from two games so far in the yeah. Nations League campaign. So yeah, I'd hope for another six points from these two, to be honest. Obviously, yeah. they're away, which makes it a bit more difficult. So, yeah, I think I'd agree with you. If we got four, I'd, I'd be happy with that. I think the other interesting thing to mention is, of course, we've got some Euro 2020 playoffs in this uh, game week uh, sort of section. Obviously, Euro 2020 due to be played in Euro, well, in 2021 now. Um, but I think tonight is uh, Northern Ireland against Bosnia, and the the winner of that will go through to to a playoff final. Um, so I'm sure we'll uh, wish Northern Ireland the best in that. Obviously, uh, avid listener, avid listener of the podcast, Ross Taylor will be gutted he's not in in Bosnia uh, watching that one. Um, but what, what what do you make of the whole Euro situation? Because obviously these Nations League matches are now effectively a a attempt at qualifying for the World Cup, which will be in two years' time, but we've still not played the Euros. It's getting extremely, extremely complicated, extremely complicated right now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm at this rate. I can't see it being all the multi-nation thing. I just can't see it working. Obviously, players going all over the place. Obviously, for England, they were all at Wembley anyway, so that dealt them in. But you know, talk about Wales going to, you know. <laughs> Baku and all this nonsense. I can't see that happening, unfortunately, with the way the world is at the moment. I mean, um, Azerbaijan's at war at the moment. <laughs> is it, yeah, I mean, it's not great, is it? There's obviously, you've got COVID, as also these other things as well. So I can't see, at least fans, I can't see fans going, no, being available to go fans. across all these places. But even at this point, I don't think it'll be the whole international, all these countries across Europe. I think maybe they'll just centre it, maybe in England or maybe in France or something like that rather than mm. doing the whole thing. But we'll see. Obviously, it might, you know, the picture might get better, but it doesn't look very good at the moment across Europe, does it? Yeah. I think it all depends on the vaccine. I think because realistically, you know, there, there's enough money in the Euros. And if there's a workable vaccine any time uh, up to a few months before, they, the football community, uh, UEFA will be able to buy enough vaccines potentially to get all, you know, all the players and staff done and then they can effectively move, move about as they please to continue this sort of Europe-wide uh, Euros, which was, which, was, which was a terrible idea even before COVID. Yeah. So. I'd argue what's the point of doing a Europe-wide Euros if it's just the players, though? The whole point was yeah. you know, to, yeah. to bring in those sort of smaller nations and get some fans interested in football from you know traditionally nations where they wouldn't be so interested and bring yeah. in revenues to those sort of smaller cities around Europe. But, you know, that's not going to happen without fans, is it? No, exactly. It's pretty pointless. And I mean, obviously, UEFA did the Champions League over the summer in one country in Portugal. So maybe they're willing to change the Euros to do that, which would it'd make a lot more sense for me if there is no fans going to be available at these grounds. Because I can't see them having, oh, you can have fans here in Greece, but you can't have fans here in England. You can't have fans. That wouldn't make sense at all. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. So, It'll be interesting to see what UEFA do. I mean, I guess they have to make a decision relatively soon. Um, obviously, they've got to all plan it all out, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Nice one. Well, thanks very much for listening to 
this week's episode of They Think It's All Over. We'll hopefully be back within the next few weeks, I'm sure, to discuss more about the Premier League, uh, internationals and much, much more. This has been They Think It's All Over and it is now. <laughs>